say hotel, motel, holiday inn. If your girl starts acting up, then you take her friend. I say skip, jive, what could I say? I can't fit them all inside my OJ, so I just take half and bust them out. I give the rest of Masterpiece so he can shock the house. This is Lamarash. Woo, baby, this is Lamarash the Queen Dawn from across the pond. It is the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, and I'm doing it real big on Jazz E Lounge, the podcast. Today is about my hip-hop story, because I am hip-hop, I grew up hip-hop, I am hip-hop, and I'm an educated hip-hopper. Check that out. Professor on Point is coming on stage right now, and she's going to give you her story. This is Lamarash, the Queen Dawn from across the pond. Let's go. This is Lamarash, and as promised, I am back. This is Jazzy Lounge, the podcast, so don't get it twisted. We're talking about everything and everything is what we talk about. Listen, I'm going to talk briefly about my hip-hop story since it's the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. And everybody is participating that is a part of hip-hop culture, the the writers, the dancers, the singers, the graffiti artists, the b-boys, the b-girls, the breakdancers, the DJs, the MCs. Everybody who has something to do with this culture is participating in some major way. And as I've been watching more and more videos, more things are coming to me. And it's so many different genres of hip-hop that eventually evolved that I'm looking at some rappers over the weekend that were in Cleveland. It was a, I think it was called The Baby. So I'm not real up on all the new hip-hop dudes. They're not even hip-hoppers. They're they, they just rappers. It's not even about hip-hop no more. I don't really see hip-hop uh, performed on uh, these in these stages like I used to. But I was looking at these dancers shaking their behinds all on the damn stage, and I'm like, it's too much. They don't have no rhyme or reason. Then it made me think about MC Hammer. Shout out to MC Hammer and his contribution to hip-hop culture. When he came out, people did not like MC Hammer changing the culture. MC Hammer was a rapper. He was out of Oakland. He was an older cat. He was a businessman. And he decided that he wanted to take the dance element of hip-hop culture and blow it up on stage and make it a show and a performance. And he was one of the main people who was able to take the culture and cross it over the borders to other parts of the world. And Hammer would have, what, 50 people on stage dancing, and they were sharp. No one was looking raunchy like they were sliding down a pole. Everybody was classy. It was together. And he helped move this culture in a way that most people didn't like because it was new. When when rap, when when hip-hop came out, not rap, I want to differentiate between emceeing and rapping, when hip-hop came out, it was always moved together with the four elements. The breakdancing, the DJing, the MC, and the graffiti artist. All four of those elements moved simultaneously with the culture. Wherever it went, that's what you saw. When we saw early concerts at the Fresh Fest, Houdini and Run DMC and the Fat Boys, Kumo D, uh, when we saw those concerts, they featured the whole culture. You can see people breakdancing. You can see graffiti art on clothing that people came to the concerts. Th- that was the culture. You saw everything. The MC was on stage in his B-boy stance. The DJ was cutting it up, and he was moving the crowd. So we had all those things with, with the culture. So when MC Hammer came out, 
he just focused on this dance element and showmanship and people didn't like it. But when I look at what's going on now, I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't even appreciate what the rappers are doing within this context of hip hop culture. So that's just a sidebar. Now, listen, real quick. I'm a professor. I used to teach at Chicago State University. I used to teach at Prairie State College, and I taught at The Ohio State University. Within those realms, I was able to travel to South Africa and teach at the University of Zululand in South Africa. I presented um, at conferences in Puerto Rico and in Columbus and, and always delivered in Chicago for sure, delivered some element of hip hop culture in the African diaspora where I went as a professor. So I would always talk about a time when there was no rap music, quote unquote, or hip hop on the radio. There was no no hip hop on the radio. Before hip hop was on the radio or rap was on the radio, <clears throat> there was soul music, there was R&B, there was funk. And there was still jazz. These were the genres on the radio. And it was it was black radio because these particular genres were started from black people. So we're talking by the time I'm in the sixth grade, and I remember this so well. This is like 1979 when I'm in the sixth grade. So by 1980, Rapper's Delight comes out. Now this is, quote unquote, the first hip-hop song that hits the airwaves and that is trickling around the country. This song, Rapper's Delight. And I started off this segment with a quick lyric from Rapper's Delight. And it trips me out because I still remember these lyrics to this day. 40 years later, I'm still remembering these lyrics. And I remember being on a school bus in the sixth grade. And... When this Rapper's Delight was on the radio, we heard this song in heavy rotation every hour. And at this time, we I do believe we had our tape recorders and we were taping these songs. I know by 1984, definitely had a I had a boombox, so I know I was recording songs off the radio. But I remember being in the sixth grade on the school bus every morning and the whole bus would be rapping these lyrics from Rapper's Delight, okay? And I remember every day we would go back and we would all have a new line that we learned. So by the end of the doggone school year, I know we knew the whole album of Rapper's Delight. It was like, at that time, it was just a single and it was on the, it was on vinyl. It was 12-inch singles and they were probably 10 to 12 minutes long with you had the remix you had the, ex- what, they couldn't, no, we were on the remix then. It was called the extended version. So you got the regular version and the extended version. And it was just grooves and music and just throwing down. It was just a good song. And it was sampled by a disco song, okay, by uh, Chic, Good Times. And like I said, the songs that were on the radio was disco Blue, not blues. You could find no. You really couldn't find blues to Sunday. It was disco. It was funk. It was some jazz on the on the radio. It was soul music, and it was the Motown sound. So you know what I'm saying. We got all these genres, and then here comes this explosion of hip hop. Like, what in the world is going on? So before I move on, I got a shout out. 
Sylvia Robinson, who is the mother of hip hop. How is she the mother of hip hop? Sylvia Robinson was a, I'm going to talk about that when I come back. I'm going to take a quick break because I want to give Sylvia Robinson her just due. Uh, rest in peace. Love her. Dig her. There should be a story about Sylvia Robinson. I always talk about where it should be stories about. I need to get on, get build me a crew and put these stories out myself because there's so many women throughout the African diaspora and in particular America who've done big things within our black culture and they should be recognized. So when I come back, I'm going to shout out and talk about Sylvia Robinson. Mm, this is Lemrash. Let's go. This is Lemrush, and as promised, I am back. Now I got to change it to my sexy voice because I'm going to talk about Miss Pillow Talk herself. Remember that song? Hey, baby, won't you make me stay? Can't compare to this pillow talk of mine. That was Sylvia Robinson, who had who was a writer and a songwriter, and, and she was a producer. She's She was around for quite some time before hip-hop culture, okay? So when hip-hop was brewing, Sylvia Robinson, according to sources, was traveling around some clubs in, in Harlem trying to see what's the latest trend and the, what's, what's happening in the streets and what's going on with young people musically and what's going on creatively. And she saw some kids representing hip-hop culture, breakdancing and graffiti artists and and DJing and the most important one was that MC the person who can move the crowd the microphone conductor you feel me the MC we said so many the master of ceremonies the MC was the person who was going to get on the microphone and use the microphone as the voice of the party so when Sylvia Robinson saw these these young people doing this she wanted to look for some rappers and she found members of the Sugar Hill Gang. And Sylvia Robinson, what would become the Sugar Hill Gang, was Sylvia Robinson uh, and her husband, business partner, formed Sugar Hill Records, which became the first record label dedicated to hip-hop music. So we're going to shout out, and we're going to bow down, and we're going to lift our hands up to Sylvia Robinson. Who was that particular one? The go-getter. The woman in charge, you feel me? Who took it upon herself to start this label. And we should be so ever grateful for Sylvia Robinson. Yo, I'm going to come back. I'm going to still talk about a few more things before I talk end my hip-hop story. Because it, it, I wanted to talk about uh, my contribution and what was going on. This is Lamrush. Some people would ask me, what other genres of music was going on when hip-hop was just brewing? Well, like I said, in 1980, Rapper's Delight was out, and that was the first hip-hop song that hit the airwaves. But also during that time, funk music was blowing up. It was already hot and popping. So we had a mixture of this funk 
with George Clinton and, and other bands from Ohio Lakeside and we can go on and on. Ohio players with these with the funk going on. I have a an episode about the funk on, on my uh, podcast. But two years after Rapper's Delight, one of the most sold, highest sold album of all times at that time was Michael Jackson's Thriller. And that came out in 1982. And I remember Christmas that year. I asked my father, I said, I wanted two things for Christmas. I wanted a record player and I wanted the Thriller album. Okay, so I got this record player in 1982 and I'm now hip hop vinyls are out for me to purchase. So I have vinyls in my room. I don't have a huge collection. I'm not a DJ. I don't have a huge collection, but I have the right songs. I have the right music and uh, Run DMC was some, one of the albums I had. And, you know, we're talking about the middle that middle eighties when these hip hop concerts were coming out, I'm in high school as, as well as influential films that were out. Now, there was a one film that came out before these two I mentioned, but the two I'm going to mention were the most popular, okay? And I was confused on the date, so I had to check them out because I wasn't sure, which brings me back to the whole East Coast, West Coast. <laughs> the movie Breaking, Breaking. That was a story about the West Coast, California in particular, Los Angeles specifically, and their contribution now to hip-hop culture. It had all the elements. I remember Ice-T being in that video as a DJ and an MC. Um, it was some break dancing going on, and that was the main part of it, But and also graffiti. But that came out in 1984. A year later, Crush Groove comes out in 1985, which is out of New York. So we're looking at, again, if New York was the start of hip-hop culture, how come Breaking was the most popular and came out first? But like I said in an earlier episode, Los Angeles and California was Hollywood. So when the culture was brewing and being sold, they could put the film out real quick. Because it was Hollywood. So those were the two films that I remember that was so influential. So much so that we thought we were living in New York. We have a train system here in Cleveland, Ohio, where I live, called the Rapid. It's the Rapid. It rapidly gets you from one place to the next. And it was a train. And it took us from the suburbs to downtown. So once we saw these movies of kids... This is the New York side. It wasn't the L.A. side. We, we didn't... We didn't identify too much with the L.A. side because it was a whole nother level of dress and, and, and hairstyles and culture, language. Everything was a little different. The music was different. It was just something different about L.A. and hip-hop culture. So in New York, we kind of, in Cleveland, we were, we were East Coasting it. And we were dress up. We would get our fashion through hip-hop. We would know our language and our lingo through hip-hop. And we would jump on our trains in Cleveland and pretending we were going, like, we weren't pretending we were going to New York, but we were going downtown. So we pretended that we had this essence of hip-hop in our brains of going to uh, see people breakdancing in the streets in the city of Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland was a hip-hop spot. 
you know, we're we going to definitely acknowledge all of our great cities when it comes to the culture. But these are the things that influenced my early hip hop story. It was Sylvia Robinson's Rapper's Delight, the Sugar Hill label. She had several artists on that label. These two movies, Breaking and Crush Groove, which in Crush Groove in particular really set the stage for the, the Fresh Fest because it was a part, Crush Groove featured the Fresh Fest, if you will, uh, because, man, it was just so incredible. And I'm thinking about these concerts and we didn't have social media. So I don't have a lot of photos. Some people have a lot of photos. Um, but these are the things that really influenced my early hip hop story. I have so much more to talk about. I'm looking at all my notes because I don't like to get off on too many different topics. But I'm going to leave you with one more line from hip hop. (laughs) Rapper's delight. Have you ever went over a friend's house to eat and the food just ain't no good? I mean, the macaroni is soggy, the peas all mushed, and the chicken tastes like wood. So you try to play it off like you think you can and you're saying that's your fool. And he says, uh-uh, man, he just being polite. You ain't finished. Uh-uh, that's bull. Listen, that was from Rapper's Delight. And I, oh my God, it was like the extended version. It was so many versions of Rapper's Delight. Red Man and Method Man did a remix or of the song. I want to say that was in 30 years of hip-hop by then. This is so much to talk about with the 50 years. I'm not done because I'm going to have me some interviews. I've got some DJ interviews coming up, some MC, breakdancing, graffiti, every part of the hip-hop culture. We're going to talk about when the culture moved from the MC to the rapper. How did the rapper become more famous than the culture? What is going on with the culture today? And it's all going to take place on Jazz E Lounge, the podcast. Saying ciao for now.